we're going to look at a, a topic today, or not like the word topic, we're going to look at perseverance. And what does that mean in a Christian life? And I know if you're like me, when you hear stuff like persevering or enduring in a Christian life, sometimes we kind of cringe like, oh man, that's, we all we all been through that, or maybe many of us were going through that in one way or another, or different uh, areas of our life. And we've all been through seasons where we've been through difficult challenges or, or, uh, or uh, persecutions, or just different seasons where it's just a difficult time. And what I thought as we look at this passage in Hebrews, there's so much in this, these few verses we read. I want to lay these kind of side by side with the passage where we're going to go. Like I said a minute ago, this is kind of a way of introduction. We're going to look at a passage in Paul's life. And in Paul's life, you could choose <laughs> any number of passages and times in his life to, to pull this out from his life. But we're going to look at one in particular in Acts chapter 18 in just a second here. And we're going to look at Paul going through a very difficult season. And one where Paul was even scared and afraid. And I thought, you know what? There's times we all have to deal with fear or struggles with just the challenges that our life faces. Or maybe decisions coming up or maybe the season, the season that we're in now. Whatever the case may be. And sometimes as believers, if we're going to be really honest, we get scared, we get afraid, we get unsure. All the things the enemy will like to do to come in to get us off track. I thought, what better way to take from the Scriptures and see how the Apostle Paul dealt with that himself and how the Lord used the Scripture and how he used the Word to come, to come alongside his, his Apostle and how he used to encourage him and what, what, how Paul walked through this. I thought, what a great example to see. Hope to encourage us and also to help us make application in our own lives in situations we may be uh, dealing with. I know when we talk about perseverance, that's not something that we get really excited about. And a lot of times in our culture and society, we have this mentality that we want things to kind of be resolved quickly or instantaneously. You know, we like our food fast. We like all that. But when it comes to our Christian walk, if we're not careful, sometimes that'll bleed over into our, our walk with the Lord. Especially the American version of Christianity, you know. You know, people have this kind of almost like a, You've heard it said before, there's different things, different verbs or, or wording for it, but like a prosperity version of the gospel, you know, God's blessing, you must have God's favor. Well, God's blessing comes in many forms. And most often it comes through difficulties and trials, if not always. And so we're going to look at that today. We'll look at that in the life of Paul. And so we can see from Paul's life what happened in Paul's life, how Paul received it, how he processed it, and how he walked in obedience to it, and how God used that in an amazing way. And hopefully we can take encouragement for our own lives. You know, and you know, like I said, you know, Paul, you can look at countless uh, encounters or seasons or passages from his life and his journey, and there's, there's so many to choose from. We chose this one, and hopefully we can look at this to um, can learn from This is in Acts chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there, and we'll pick up in verse 1. And we'll read this. It's going to be, we're, going, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11 primarily, and we'll read it uh, at one time, and we'll kind of come back and look at it a little bit closer. Starting in verse 1, this is now, this is Paul going into the city of Corinth, just right on the hills of leaving the city of Athens. And so, in verse 1 it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Of course, Claudius was a Roman emperor at the time. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them 
the Word of God. You know, when you look at Paul's life, and sometimes you're like me, you kind of marvel at Paul from a distance. It's like, Lord, this guy went through just about everything you could imagine. How did he endure? How did he continue time after time after time and city after city and situation after situation endure faithfully such incredible opposition that, let's be honest, most of us in this room will never come close to touching or experiencing. Certainly not the level that Paul did. You say, how did he do this? You know, if you think about it, I was thinking this the other night, Paul had a, a kind of a unique experience. At the beginning of when he got saved, at the beginning, Paul, the Lord tells that he showed when he was calling Ananias to go to Paul. You know, when Paul lost his sight you know, on the way to Damascus, the Lord appeared to him in a vision. He was blinded. And he went to, you know, Damascus. And called, the Lord tells Ananias, you know, go to this guy named Saul. And I want you to go place your hands on him and so you can receive his sight because I've called him. And I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. At the very beginning, Saul at the time, now Paul, was kind of given a glimpse, far more than a glimpse. We're not really told all that the Lord showed him, but apparently it was significant to show him how much he must suffer for his name. But at the same time, the Lord also showed him the truth of what he was suffering for. Not really suffering for, because the Lord did it all, but to see what this was all about. He got to see things that he says, I'm not permitted to tell. So I think the Lord did that to encourage Paul. And I say it the same, we'll, we'll, we'll cover this in a second. Paul knew how it ends. He saw the troubles in, in, in briefly, I think in kind of a generally speaking. He probably saw the challenges that lay ahead of him. And he obviously experienced them. But the Lord also showed him what lay ahead. Not fully, I'm sure. But he knew enough to know, you know what? This is, this is rubbish. Because he knew and he trusted and he believed in the God that he served. And God was faithful. And so we're going to look at here where God gets this word, gives this word to Paul. We're going to look at Paul's response. We're going to learn a lot about what the Lord says. And we're also going to learn a lot about what is not said in this passage. And also just how quickly the Lord or Paul walks through this, this, um, or this section of Scripture here. So let's move on. So when you, as a believer in Christ, sometimes we hear things and people, when you go through difficult situations and challenges, you know, when opposition comes, sometimes we kind of get scared. Like, Lord, I must have missed you because everything just got difficult all of a sudden. I thought you told me to go do this or not to do this, and now I get all this opposition. In the Christian life, we need to understand this. Most of us understand this, at least on some level. We need to expect opposition. It's kind of par for the course. We don't need to avoid it. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to try to position ourselves. You know, say, Lord, if I follow you in this, you know, you know, we need to follow in obedience. And we need to understand going in, this is probably going to cost us something. You know, Spurgeon said this. I love how Spurgeon said this. He's talking about when a believer follows Christ and the difficulties and challenges that we face. He says, the devil never kicks a dead horse. Think about that. He's going to leave it alone. Leave, just completely leave it alone. You know, if I had a fire in my house, I thought about this, there's like a kitchen fire. If I'm cooking, it's probably a kitchen fire. But if I have a fire in my house or there's some kind of flame flashes up, I'm not going to go to the back and vacuum. I'm not going to go take care of something on the other side of the house. I'm going to deal with a fire because that fire needs to be put out. Enemies just like that. If I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I'm on fire for the Lord or I'm serving the Lord and I'm falling in obedience, the Lord's using me or using my ministry or using this church, we need to expect opposition because the enemy is going to deal with that. He's not going to leave the dead. He's going to leave the dead horse completely alone or the area that does not cause him any problems. He's going to go straight to the source that's causing him the most challenge in his, against his plans and his evil and wicked purposes. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, we kind of know that. And we all know that on some level. But when it happens, we kind of pull back a little bit out of fear or anxiety 
or maybe even doubt and kind of get confused on what's really going on. But I love when Paul's life, so when you look at Paul's life, you see this happen time and time again. And so we can look at Paul's reaction to this to see how Paul was able to process what was really going on in the situation. He left a bad situation in Athens. You know, it's, it's going to be challenging because he left a city that really wasn't receptive to the gospel. So he leaves that. The Bible says very few joined him. He leaves that city and he goes into Corinth. Right away he faces opposition again. Very hostile opposition. There's one writer put it this way, and talking about in the believer's life when you deal with situations like this, where it's opposition or fear or challenges. To walk by faith means to see opportunities even in the midst of opposition. And he kind of goes and he clarifies it this way. A pessimist sees only the problems. An optimist sees only the potential. But a realist sees the potential in the problems. There's a lot of truth to that. I wrote this down. I said, yeah, but Paul did not close his eyes to the many dangers and difficulties in the situation he faced at Corinth. He looked at him from a divine point of view. He had a biblical and a, and a perspective that God had given him. This writer goes on to say that faith simply means obeying God's will in spite of our feelings, our circumstances, or the consequences. The opposite of walking by faith, you probably heard this many times, is true, is to walk by fear. If we're not walking in faith, we're living in fear. Or we're trying to walk by sight. And so as we kind of look at this, I want to make a side note here just real quick. A lot of times you talk to people or people come along and they're talking about they're trying to follow the Lord and faith and they're praying about different situations or maybe decisions that we're making. You hear people use this kind of um, this term or this, uh, and I've used it too. And it, we have to be careful when we do this. We'll say things like, you know, I've been praying about this and, and God just opened this door. And so I just walk through it. We hear a lot about that in the Christian life, about open doors, closed doors, and all this kind of stuff. And does God open doors? Absolutely. Does he close doors? Absolutely. Now, when I was younger, I had a guy one time, I thought the guy lost his mind. But he said this. He said, you know what, David? If God shuts a door, look for a window. <laughs> my house, we use doors. We don't go jumping through windows. You know, that usually doesn't end well. If you come into my house in the middle of the night in the window, we got problems, you know. Most people use doors where I'm from. But the point he was trying to make, I think, was, you know, look for the opportunity that God may be opening if something closes. Well, that's true. But we're going to learn from Paul's life, so hopefully, to look at that maybe a little bit more biblically. Sometimes I think we get too focused on doors being open and closed, and we totally miss what God may be saying and doing in that season or that point in our life. God can open and close doors. You know, the enemy can open doors too or give us opportunities to make decisions that are not from the Lord. Sometimes the Lord will allow that to see if we're going to follow him or follow the open door or the closed door. You know, when the Israelites got to the Red Sea, you know, or the, the Jordan, the, when they got to the Red Sea, the Lord opened the door and they walked through that. But when they got to the Jordan, there was no open door. They didn't wait for the Jordan to, to open before they crossed. What did they do? They got a word from the Lord to march forward with the door closed. And it wasn't until they got their feet wet that the Lord parked the Jordan. So that's why it's critical to be very careful about when we talk about opening and closed doors that the heart of it is, it's not where the doors open or closed. That's kind of irrelevant. What the heart of it is, is what has God said? Period. Because God will tell you, stand here, and when I'm ready, I'll open a door. Or you wait here, and I'll show you what to do next. Regardless of what our circumstances say, Paul was kind of experiencing that. Paul left probably a very discouraging place in Athens. He comes to one right the gate. is just unbelievably challenging. You know, we get kind of a bitter picture of this later on when he writes his letter to 1st and 2nd Corinthians, the church of Corinth. You know what he said in 2nd Corinthians? When we came here to Asia, we were so beaten down. We were even despaired of life. Paul was going through a very, and we don't see that here in Acts. It's kind of not glossed over, but that's not touched on. And I'll tell you why. 
We'll talk about it in a second. It's, it's amazing when, when the Lord gives Paul this word in verse 9. He says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I'm with you. No one's going to attack and harm you because you have many people in the city. You know what the very next verse says? So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. All he needed was to hear a word from the Lord. And his response was immediate and obedience. His circumstances didn't get any better, by the way. In fact, they got worse. But he heard from the Lord, and that settled it for Paul. Door wasn't open like he would, like maybe we would think, but the door wasn't closed either. It didn't matter. Paul heard from the Lord, and he moved forward. You know, Paul models this throughout his entire life, incredibly, in his ministry. You know, Paul had open doors for ministry. He also had closed doors for effective ministry. We see that in Scripture. But what's common in each of those situations was he got a word from the Lord. It wasn't whether the door was open or not. It was whether what, the, what did God say do and where did God say go for Paul. And I wrote this down. I thought this is key here. And this is We're going to look at that. we go back to Hebrews in a second. We're going to look at this point here, which I think is a challenge for most believers. And it's probably critical in the believer's life. If we're not careful, we can miss this and get ourselves in a lot of trouble. The Lord has many promises to remind us of God's faithfulness to complete that which he has started or he's initiated. And that's the key. What is it he has started or what he's initiated? Sometimes we'll get ourselves in positions or in situations or places that God had not ever intended for us to be. Because we all because we, we didn't stop long enough to pray, but we just walked through an open door. Or we stayed somewhere we shouldn't have stayed. Whatever the case may be. And so, as we get back to Paul here, I want us to pick up in verse 7 here of Acts chapter 18. Let's read 7 through 11. It says this, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who had heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because you have many people in this city. So we're going to look, in this section here we see a couple of things. We see God's work that the gospel is starting to bear fruit. So the gospel work is producing fruit. But we also see something else here. We see the gospel worker, Paul, being afraid. Isn't it cool? I don't know about you, but I get encouragement for knowing that Paul got scared, that Paul got anxious, Paul got fearful, and that Paul had struggles just like you and I have. And I tell you, there's, there's a lot we can learn from this. And so I think what's critical and what's interesting to look at how Paul walks through this. And I, most of us don't think about Paul that way, do we? We don't kind of think of Paul being, at times, this wasn't, this wasn't true of his life in general. Paul was a very bold individual. But Paul was human. <clears throat> the fact that we were told in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that Paul despaired even of life. Paul had down days. He wasn't one of these people kind of walking around all bubbly. That's, ooh, God's good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, and they're not real. They're just fake. You know, the, the Christian life is hard. But you know what? The Bible says, you know, this world will have many troubles. But take heart, I've overcome the world. You know? Even in the midst of our challenges, we can still have joy. Not something we manufacture because we think we're supposed to look that way in front of people, but true joy that's genuine because of a heart change and because of walking in obedience to the Lord and His will for us, regardless of our circumstances. And so I look at this. It's like Paul must have been struggling with fear because look how the Lord words this in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you. He says, no one's going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. Now, they did attack him, but they weren't able to harm him. The Lord didn't keep him from that part. Paul still, you know, very next verse, he gets dragged to, to, to court. 
but he says, I am with you. That settled it for Paul. I love Paul's heart and the way Paul followed the Lord with such a passion, such a, just a, a love, just total abandonment to himself, to his circumstances, because he knew the one who he placed his trust was, was faithful and was far greater than anything that he would ever have to face or endure. If you hold your place there, we'll, we'll flip back over to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36. Look at this encouragement here that we read a little while ago. And I believe this applies. I think Paul uh, must have been encouraged by this truth in his own life as well. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but this to me, I thought, you know, when I thought of Paul, I thought, man, this must have been the truth that was in Paul's mind and heart all the time from the Lord. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. You know, and you see from this passage of scripture, by the way, it's kind of implied, more, really more than implied, that often, if not really all the time, when we do the Lord's will, it always assumes difficulty is going to be involved. You notice that? Paul's life, you see that for sure. But if you listen to this, in the writer in, the, in this section of Hebrews, he's dealing with people who've apparently been going through some difficult seasons of persecution in their own lives in this particular church, or this group of believers. And so, immediately, following these examples, by the way, in chapter 10, you know what the writer of Hebrews does? He goes to chapter 11 and talks about all these different people that we call heroes of faith, kind of the world call of faith in chapter 11. But you know what's right after chapter 11? It's like, I love how the Lord puts this together in, chapter, in Hebrews. He goes through chapter 10 and gives these encouragement to persevere and to endure. Then he gives examples in chapter 11. The whole chapter 11 is full of examples of these people and how they endured. Because he wants us to be mindful. See, here's what it looks like in these people's lives. Here's what I did in this situation, this situation, this situation. He goes through, covers most of the Old Testament. He covers all these different men and women of the faith who God used in incredible ways. through incredibly challenging, difficult, and just in some of them deadly circumstances. But then, right after chapter 11, verse 12, or chapter 12 and verse 1, look what he says. I mean, right on the heels of this is what the Lord brings us right back to. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I think this, these three verses hold a key here for, our, for the Christian. When we go through those seasons of difficult trials or maybe we're at a decision point in our process in our lives and we don't know what, what to do or maybe God's given us a direction to do but we're struggling with walking in obedience because of fear or whatever the reason may be. I think from these three verses, kind of give us an outline of how to approach this process. I think we can take this outline almost and look how Paul did this in his own life, in his own situation. The first part of verse 1 says, Throw off uh, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. This kind of a race analogy is all throughout Scripture. Basically more of a marathon runner. Now if you've ever seen or run a marathon, I never have, and Lord willing, I never will. But I, I just, I'm, that's not me. I see people running, I'm thinking, Thank you, Lord. I'm not like those people, you know. I just, I wish I could run, but that's just not going to happen. But if you ever picked up racing shoes, especially sprinter shoes, they're some of the lightest shoes you'll ever pick up because the weight and resistance will make it very challenging to run a 26, was it, 0.2? Ryan's ran one. 26.2 mile marathon. I can't drive that far without getting tired, much less run. But anyway, so those shoes are incredibly light because the people who make the shoes know by the time you get to the end of this race, you know, you need the least amount of drag and, and anything that weighing you down as possible. Well, the Lord knows this too in a Christian life. We try to carry around a bunch of entanglements or sins. It's going to hinder us from running the race that God has marked out for us. 
Certainly run it with effectiveness. Look at the second thing. Run with perseverance. You know, when you start a marathon, you've got to understand there's more than just a few feet. You've got to go a long distance. Now, if you come up to a race, you've got to know, when I start this race, I'm not going to give out in about five minutes because I'm getting tired. It's kind of hot. But to run with endurance and perseverance. In the Christian life, that's especially true. Well, how do you do that? Sometimes, Dave, you don't understand my situation is very hard. It's difficult. I've been in this situation for a long time. I'm really tired. I just feel like everything has been against me. I feel like this season of my life is just about beating me down. Well, you know what? We've all experienced that on one level or another. But when you go back to scriptures, look at somebody like Paul. I tell you, it's a great place to go back and be reminded of how the Lord deals with his servants, how the Lord can carry us through those difficult seasons. And I wrote this, you know, I was thinking of this, I thought, you know, um, I think the challenge is, and sometimes, if not a lot of times, this could be true, maybe we're in the wrong race. Because the next part of the verse is the key here. We're supposed to run with perseverance. And what is it we're supposed to run with perseverance? The race that's been marked out for us. I don't come up with my plans and ask God to bless it. I don't sit there and see, you know, when I was, you know, I've been in student ministry for a long time prior to coming here. And one of the things used to drive me insane, and you probably hear this a lot, you hear it in churches, and it almost sounds biblical, but it's not. But you hear people who are, I don't think it's biblical. Let me be careful there. I, but I don't believe it is. I think scripture supports that. And if you disagree with me later, I'll be glad to walk you through it. But hear, hear what you hear all the time in your life, in the Christian life. Dave, whatever your passions are, whatever you're gifted at, Pursue that with all you've got. Don't ever do that. I don't care what your passions are. I don't care what your giftedness is. That's never the starting point. It just isn't. I was thinking, I've shared this with you guys before, and but it bears repeating. The Lord showed me this to the life of David. When David was going to be king at, say, 15, there's some dating things, but 15 probably. He's a young man. He was going to be king. He was 30 before he became king of the southern kingdom. 15 years, 14 years, however you want to date it. But a pretty long time. But during that season, he had several opportunities he could have been king on his own if he wanted to take it by force very easily. Here's what the Lord showed me. He says, David, one of the reasons he was called a man from my own heart, he never once pursued the throne. Not one time he pursued me. That's the key to the Christian life. Whatever my giftedness is or whatever I think it is, what all that, I pursue him. Then, only then will I have the clarity to understand how he's going to use this giftedness for his purposes and for his kingdom. And we kind of see this as we move down to the next verse here. In the next verse it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Just like we said, if you focus on what Jesus says, where he's at, what he's doing in your life, we see clearly. If I'm so worried about me, my situation or my circumstances or my fears or my gifts or my passions or whatever, I'm not. I'm going to miss what God is saying and what God's up to. And so we have to be careful of that. Look what verse 3 says, same in chapter 12 here again. It says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, um, I thought about what an awesome encouragement that is. Sometimes we'll read past this verse and we'll agree with it. But if we're not careful, we just kind of move past it, not really stop and think about what that is saying. That word, ponder or consider. Think about who we're considering. Jesus Christ, who has forever defeated our enemy. He's forever made a public spectacle of him. And so if you think about what he's done for us, what he's endured for us, what he's won for us, man, it changes everything. We're on the winning team. We serve a risen and a victorious Savior. 
The Bible says in very descriptive language, he not only defeated the enemy of our souls, it says he made a public spectacle of him. Can you imagine that? He didn't just barely get by. He completely and forever humiliated and forever defeated the enemy of our souls. Now, we don't live in that yet as far as our day-to-day -day life because we live on this planet. But we know one day, when that day's coming, that our glory is going to come back. And so we look forward to that with hope. But until that day, to faithfully endure, we need to keep our eyes on him. And because I think that's one reason Paul was able to do what he did to the extent he was able to. Paul kept his eyes on Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he saw everything much clearer. He saw his Savior. He saw the one that, that was, had done everything for him and had won the victory. And so when he was dealing, and by the way, Saul, or Paul, whichever you know you want to call him, but Paul probably had a situation that none of us in this room will ever, 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 this side of heaven, have to experience. He had, a, I would suspect, on a regular basis, a direct assault from the enemy himself. You know, Satan's not like the Lord. He can't be here and be over there at the same time. He can't do it. So when Apostle Paul was dealing with what he was dealing with, I suspect he had to deal with to a far greater degree than we ever have to. So we need to kind of keep that in the back of our mind. That, you know what? And look how the Lord strengthened him. I love it. When, you know, we went back in Acts and the Lord says, the Lord came and spoke to him said, I'm with you. And that was all Paul needed to know. Paul knew that, but when Paul got that reassurance that the Lord was with him, I was like, okay. You know, I, I imagine Paul was like, I got it, you know. I may have lost it for a second based on my circumstances, but you know what? That's enough for me. His circumstances didn't change. They didn't get better. In fact, they got more difficult, but that was enough for Paul. And so as we look at this verse in 3, in Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 3, where it says, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. A couple of questions I read this verse came to my mind. Is what, what should we consider about Jesus? And it tells us that he endured opposition from sinful men. He's endured everything far more than we'll ever endure. And so why should we consider this? So we'll not grow weary and lose heart. You know, you talk to people all the time, and we've all been there. We're people who are believers who get discouraged. There's kind of a common thread when you're talking to a discouraged believer. One of the first questions I'll ask somebody if I'm dealing with somebody who's really in a, and maybe in a bad place, or maybe they're at really a distance from the Lord, or they're going through a severe trial. And one of the first things I'll ask them, just invariably, is tell me what your time with the Lord's been like. What's the Lord been showing you? Usually the answer to that question will reveal a lot. You know, Dave, things have been so tough and difficult. I just didn't really have time to spend with the Lord. There's the problem. And because of that, if that we find ourselves in that situation, we're not going to be able to understand to biblically and accurately interpret or to receive what's going on in our situation and be able to understand what it is that's going on, how do we respond, what's the Lord showing us, to walk, how to walk through this, or how to endure. And we're going to give out. Because we've taken our eyes off our Savior. So I think the challenge is we kind of go forward as believers that, you know, to be reminded, you know, Jesus promised, you know, the world hated him. They're going, the world's going to hate you too, and me as well. And so it's going, we might find ourselves persecuted or misunderstood. All because we're trying to follow the Lord. Not that we're trying to do something evil, but trying to follow the Lord will, will cause you a lot of grief of uh, lost people, especially those in your family or maybe in your workplace, in your neighborhood. We don't need to be surprised by that. And so, as we look at Paul's life here, and we'll flip back here and we'll finish back up here in, in Acts, uh, the passage in Acts 18. It's kind of reminded us, I was thinking about this with Paul, you know, again, the opposite of faith is fear. And it's, you know, Paul's life certainly wasn't characterized by that, not by fear. But he did experience fear. Having fear is not the problem. That's normal. 
what you do with that is where the challenge comes in. How do you walk through that? How do you deal with it? How do you let the Lord deal with that and walk you through those times that are fearful or you're anxious or you just don't know? Being afraid is a normal human response. I am scared to death of roller coasters, okay? That's normal, okay? And if you're not, then that's not normal, okay? But being the roller coasters just don't get along anymore. I'm afraid of it. And that's a silly way, but, you know, there's times in my Christian life where I've had to face a decision or a season that was fearful because I didn't know what to expect. There's times where God's asked me to walk through a door that I did not want to walk through. I said, Lord, i got to walk through this. But you know what? When you keep your eyes on Him, keep the clarity He gives you, you can't have fear in the midst of perfect peace because He's the Prince of Peace. You may not like the circumstances and you may not like the situation, but the fear, when you lay it at His feet, it's amazing what He can do with that. Because it no longer becomes fear. It starts, it starts to become faith. When you walk by faith, you, you don't, you're not encumbered by fear or doubt or worry, at least not to the extent that those who are taking their eyes off the Lord. You know, there's times, you know, the enemy is, uh, one of his, I think one of his favorite weapons is fear. There's a lot of weapons he likes, but one of them is fear. If he knows he can get us to be afraid or scared or timid, he can get a lot of ground with that. He can cause us to miss what God would have for us. And he can do a lot of things that really discourage us. I love how the Lord encouraged Paul. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Man, if you think about this in the whole grand scheme of things, the enemy is a powerful foe. Not minimizing that in the least. He is a joke compared to the God of this universe. The God of this universe spoke these words to Paul, and Paul took them to heart. Paul didn't say, well, that's a good theory, Lord. No. Paul heard it, and he walked in obedience. Then, once he walked in obedience, he stepped forward. He stepped forward, I believe, in a situation where he had to get his feet wet and wait for God to open it, the opportunity for more effective ministry. And God did that. Can you imagine when he got basically kind of kicked out or he left the synagogue? God's, I think God has a sense of humor, but God is so smart and so wise. He went next door to a house. So he was still right. Even God, when he abandons us, is pursuing us. Figure that one out. That's the Lord. His pursuit of us is never ending. There comes a point now where we can cross the line. But even when he abandons those people, like, his, like in this situation with Paul, Paul left the synagogue, but God was still pursuing many people in the synagogue because the synagogue ruler got saved. Isn't that cool? This door apparently got shut teaching at the synagogue, so God sends him next door. Now, if it were me, I'd want to go only this side of town. I'd be like, <laughs> y'all just have it. But no. Paul knew that the Lord, Paul knew that when the Lord spoke, he needed to obey. And apparently the Lord must have led Paul to go right next door because there's still people who needed to hear the gospel. And the synagogue brothers, the whole family gets saved. And it says many other Corinthians heard and believed as well. Paul got to see some of the effects of faithful obedience to the Lord. And what it probably seemed like, and that was. On our own, that's an impossible thing to happen. Think about that. And the Lord just took that obedience and used that in an amazing way. And the, the fear that the enemy had crept in, if Paul had followed that fear, he'd have missed all that God would want to use in his life in that situation. I, I, I thought about this as I was going through this. I thought, How many times in my life have I missed what God would have for me in situations because of fear? Because I was just too afraid to speak or too afraid to go forward or to share 
or what have you. you know, me and my wife one time shared with some of our family the gospel one night, and it was at the church, and it was a very awkward thing to go share the gospel with some of your family, especially when they think they're saved or who goes to church a lot. That was, that's incredibly awkward and fearful. And it felt like it went, it just felt like it just bombed. Okay, Lord, you told us to do that, but this is the result. Several years later, not, not long later, about two or three years later, we get a call out of the blue when we were living in Texas from one of the individuals. <laughs> and they gotten saved. And one of the things they went back to was that night. Do you remember when you came over and talked to us? They go, yeah, that was a terrible. You know, my thoughts are, man, Lord, we couldn't have blown it more than we, at least my part. You couldn't have blown it any more than that. I mean, we just, the enemy, that's what the enemy wants us to believe, that lie. It was a life in the pit of hell. God didn't need me or my wife to share the gospel. He doesn't need me to save somebody's life. He chose to take us and use what little we had to offer. He took that obedience to his command to go, and he did the rest. Only he can change a heart and a life. And he wants us to be, and he allows us the incredible joy and privilege to be a part of that. So I'm telling you right now, if God tells you to go share the gospel with somebody in your family, do it. Don't worry about how you speak. Don't worry about the wording. Don't worry about none of that nonsense. Don't worry about the fear. Sometimes you have to go forward in fear. You know, I used to play ball, and the most scariest time for me in a game was the very beginning of the game until the tip-off, and then it was gone. Once you got going and got doing it, it was gone. That's really true a lot in the Christian life, too. There's been times I'm sharing the gospel with people, and when you start off, sometimes you're not careful. The enemy will just mess you up and try to get you scared or anxious or fearful or whatever. But once you start, you don't care anymore. You, you want to you make sure you, you have the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, or whatever the case may be. So be, you know, usually when you have a fearful situation like that, no right thing, that's not from the Lord. It's just not. Not when, not when it comes to a situation where you're supposed to share the gospel with somebody, the Lord's not in that. And so just run right then. That's who, who you're dealing with and know how to respond. And so that's what Paul does. Paul immediately obeys. And his circumstances didn't change. I love what verse 11 said. <laughs> it says, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. You know, there's an old saying that says, you know, when you, if you don't fear God, you'll fear everything else. What people say, circumstances, whatever. But when you do fear God, you won't fear anything else. It's not like you used to. Does that make sense? You know, sometimes we can be so afraid of other things or circumstances, whether it's you know, loss of money or loss of relationships, whatever. But we have an accurate and a biblical fear of God. Those things the Lord deals with and takes away. But as a believer, when we put our faith and trust in God and truly learn to fear Him as we should, and that's a process, by the way. That's not, none of us have arrived there. I don't, I don't think that's even possible this side of heaven. That's a lifelong process to, to understand more and more what it is to grow in our understanding of the Lord and our, to, to fear Him biblically, to follow Him. You know, speaking of that, I love this picture. You know, you know what, we don't think of this a lot when we think of the Apostle Paul. If you're like me, I always thought of Apostle Paul, when he came out, when he got saved, he was fully charged and fully mature and ready to go. But that wasn't true. Paul had some times where he didn't do the right thing and maybe made some mistakes. And there's one thing that Paul says to by his own admission. You see his progression in Paul's life if he's, as he's grown in his own walk. I love that. The picture actually lets us see Paul's journey of, of growth and faith and trust in the Lord throughout his writings and throughout his earthly life. Paul says the first thing, one of the earliest things he writes, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. That's how he describes himself. But halfway through his earthly life, he describes himself, I'm the least of the saints. By the end of his life, 
You know how he describes himself? I'm the chief of sinners. He became, as he became more and more humble, he had this incredible love and understanding and, and just passion for the Lord. His fear became less and less about whatever could happen to him. I think that's one of the reasons, too, why he became, the Lord could use him because of his humility and his heart. He was teachable. Paul didn't start that way, by the way. Before he got saved, he was a difficult individual. But the old was gone and the new had come. So wherever you've come from in your life, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all things have become new. Don't rely on some old excuse for Dave. I just don't like talking to people. I don't like sharing my. I don't like speaking in front of people. I mean, I'm gonna give you. You probably figured this out by now. I despise on my on my own speaking in front of large groups. I have. I don't know if you call it. I call it stage fright. The first thing I always tell a joke to myself when I come up in front of a group this size is like, "What's my name?" You know, because I'm like I forget everything. Just everything just erased. I'm much more comfortable in a smaller setting. I used to take F's in high school on public speaking. Every time they required an oral report, I took zeros on. All I had, when I got to college, I was gonna, I had to learn how to pass college. So I had to start doing that. That was a fun experience. But anyway, but I, on my own, I do not enjoy that. I remember the Lord called me in the ministry. One thing I told the Lord, because of fear, Lord, I'll do whatever. Just don't ever have me have to speak in front of people. I'm your guy. Just let's leave that right there, though. I'm your guy. Because I was terrified of it. Absolutely petrified. I'd walk in a room. and be like, I hated it. I could go play ball and be fine. That's different. But in a room, if there's a fear of him having to speak out loud, oh, man. You know, I just I hated that. I was an outgoing guy, but not in groups. I just I was not I was fearful of that. But it's cool. Even something silly and simple as that, the Lord takes care of that. Because his strength is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His power is sufficient. Because he it forces us to rely on him instead of ourselves. I remember one time I was talking to a guy, and, and uh, you know, when, I, when you're around guys, as long as I've been, that are quoting student ministry, whatever that means. Some of these guys, there's this thing going around a few years ago. I guess it may be still going around. I don't know. I don't keep up with that anymore. And these guys was things like, well, Dave, I'm, I'd ask them about their calling and try to figure out how the Lord got them, you know, just try to have a conversation, try to figure out where they're coming from. And invariably, they'd always say something to this effect. Well, I'm just a communicator. What, is, what does that mean? Communicate, what, what does that mean to be a communicator? What I found it meant, they were public speakers. And they loved it. But when you started asking questions about having a shepherd's heart or a pastor's heart, it just didn't seem to be there in a large majority of cases. And I don't know what that was. But I think, you know, this is going to sound crazy, but I think a lot had to do with fear. It's easy, not for me, but it's easy to get in front of people and speak and then move on. That takes nothing. That's, let's be honest, that's, that's not a lie. If you can speak well, that's great. I'm not saying it be from the Lord, but I'm saying speaking, that's not a hard thing to do. It is for me. But to get invested in somebody's life, to get down there with them, to invest and spend time with them, day in and day out, week in and week out, year in year out, ministry can get ugly and can get messy. I think as a body of Christ, when God calls us, He'll bring people in our lives that He wants us to minister to. Kind of come alongside. We may see somebody in the ditch. He may call us to come alongside them and help them out, regardless of what the case is. That's an awesome, awesome thing we get to be a part of. That's one thing I think God's been showing me. I think us in this church here, as we talk a lot about being a church family, because when one rejoices, we all rejoice. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one grieves, we all grieve. That is beautiful.
beautiful thing that God has given us through His Holy Spirit because of His Son, Jesus Christ, to knit us together like only He can do. So no matter what we face, we don't face it alone. We have, obviously, first and foremost, Jesus Christ. And Paul, you see this in Paul's life, Paul also had a group of believers that he would go to to come alongside and encourage him. And we all need that. That's why, we're, that's why we're put together within the body of Christ for encouragement. And so as we kind of wrap up here, I kind of wrote this thing down. You know, Paul's faith in the Lord was far greater than any of his fears. And it wasn't because of Paul and his accomplishments or his past victories or his endurance of some of the most difficult trials he's ever faced or ever endured, that anybody's ever endured. It's because of the one in whom Paul placed his faith, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, this is the Lord gifts us with faith in his Son who's already completely and utterly defeated the enemy of our souls. So when we stop and think about it, we're on the winning team. And that's one of the greatest blessings of walking by faith. Walking by faith is not just guessing. It's not, you know, faith isn't blind. There's kind of this misconception about that. Faith isn't blind. My faith is based on the evidence I have from God's Word, which is very clear about the God that we serve. Now, do I have all the answers? Do I have many of the answers? No. We don't see a lot of things, maybe not in this lifetime we don't see them, but I don't walk blindly. My faith isn't blind. Faith isn't blind. It's in a person in the work of Jesus Christ. In His Word, we have this, the things we need for life and for godliness, the Scriptures tell us. And the Bible says if we'll trust in Him with all of our hearts and not lean on our own understandings, allow Him to direct our steps. That's a beautiful thing to think about. And so as we wrap up, I want to read this verse again to kind of think about to remind us of. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that's, that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us and let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. As we get ready to pray, I just want to ask you this as we're praying. You know, are you in a race maybe that you shouldn't be in? Have you, are you, have you kind of found yourself in a situation maybe you took a, made, a, made a decision or you didn't make a decision based on the wrong reasons? Open door, closed door, but not a clear word from the Lord. Or maybe you're hesitant to make a decision because of fear or whatever other reason. And maybe the Lord's spoken to you clearly, but you just kind of really don't want to do this. The Lord's asking you to do it. As we wrap up, as we pray, I want you to ask the Lord and, and spend some time this week with the Lord. And uh, for lack of a better word, it's kind of a homework assignment. Ask the Lord to show you, Lord, is there something in my life? Is there a, a step of obedience I haven't made yet? Is there something you've been asking me to do that I've been unwilling to do for whatever reason, for whatever fear, whatever the excuse may be? Or maybe you're not in a position to hear from him because in your personal time with him, you've not been where you're supposed to be, taking your eyes off of him. You know, in, in the Christian life, that's the key, is our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we're not rightly related to him, we're not going to be able to hear what he's got to say. And we're going to be taking our best guesses. And that's when fear will just consume us. The enemy will have a heyday because we take our eyes off our Savior. 